Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. So I'm just going to go ahead and um, pray for us real quick, and then we'll just start, if that's okay. Lord, we just thank you for our um, time together. We know that um, there are many voices speaking right now, and um, part of the issue that we're having in our world, Lord, is that so many voices are, are not feeling like they're being heard. And so we pray, Lord, that our time together would allow our church to see that there is a way to create space for people to talk and that we can listen. Um, and then also, Lord, ultimately, we know that you have a voice that truly should be louder than all other voices. And so if we're, if we're speaking, Lord, and we can't hear you speak, I'm asking that we would be quiet enough to hear you as well. So I thank you for our time together. I pray that your son Jesus would be um, honored and glorified. And I would pray that all of your people, your sons and daughters, that they too would carry um, dignity and honor, that that would be given to them um, by each one of us, Lord. Um, my heart breaks that I, I think that, that many people are not treating others the way that you would have them be treated. And um, we need that corrected, Lord. And we ask that we would be a part of that solution. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I want to thank all of you guys for spending some time today. I know it's in the middle of your work day. Um, and so I'm sure everyone has some work that they've got to get back to. Um, but this just feels like a real important conversation uh, that we should be having, uh, especially in regards to everything that's happening in, in the world around us. Um, when the protest first started after uh, George Floyd's um, death, murder, you know, <laughs> let's call it what it is, um, it wasn't long before I began to feel some pressure, like, I, I don't, I don't know what to think about some of this stuff. Um, I don't have a lot of information. Obviously, we're kind of somewhat removed from Minneapolis, so I'm watching it on the news like all of us were. Um, but it wasn't long before some of those protests and, and some of those um, social gatherings where people were getting together to protest what took place really spread across the country. And I think I saw something on the news this week that um, all 50 states have had a a Black Lives Matter, a George Floyd protest at some point in their communities. Um, and so when that happened, I'm like, okay, I want to engage in this a little bit because it's really hitting closer to home now. Um, I just didn't know where to start. So I called my buddy Blake here. So, <laughs> um, and I told him I'm, I'm nervous because all the things that I'm seeing on social media um, seem to be conflicting. Some are saying to, to white people like myself, um, to reach out to your black friends, check in on them, see how they're doing. And, and you scroll down and the next person posts, hey, white people, don't reach out to your black friends. They're, they're being inundated by all of their white friends trying to figure out what's going on. So um, when I called Blake and asked him, um, Blake, would you just share again what you said to me when I reached out to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was basically, I think, for one, it, it probably varies from person to person. Me personally, um, I've been having very extensive, honest, brutal conversations with a lot of my um, a lot of my white friends these, these past couple of days, and I don't mind because this is things that even 
without the scope of this larger George Floyd situation, we kind of engage in these kind of things often anyway. So if there's any Saudi area or confusion that, that I can clear up, I mean, I'm more than happy to, to the, to the white people that are close to me or in, in my circle, but you may have other black people who aren't like that. I mean, they, they just do not want to go over and rehash these same things over and over and over again. And uh, I don't know, I just think it just varies from person to person. But me personally, I was happy that you called to uh, to get more understanding on that because, I mean, that's that's honestly where a lot of this will start is just people uh, trying to gain that understanding. So. Yeah, I, I agree fully. And I felt somewhat frozen because because I didn't know much. I didn't know what to say. And that seemed to be a stumbling block for me. But I had to I had to realize that um, in everything else in my life, if I don't know something, I'm a student. I will go research it and learn it and do the best that I can. So I had to call. I was compelled to call. And I'm just so thankful that you were willing to uh, respond back. And, and my hope in all of this is um, that we would be sort of a catalyst, as I mentioned earlier, for the church, you know, that the church might be able to engage in this as well. Um, let me ask you, Amber, um, what would you want the people of the church to understand maybe in this time um, and maybe speak a little bit to, you know, your current situation? We talked a little bit yesterday on the phone. You're, you're like a unicorn in all of this with some with everything. Why don't you explain what I mean by that and, and maybe what you would like the church to see uh, happen through all this? Yeah, so so I am biracial. My father's black. My mother's white. And uh, to add to that, I'm married to a white police officer. So it's been a, an interesting week. And I have experienced all sorts of conflicting emotions and, and, and still quite honestly processing a lot of things. And it's been difficult to wrap my own mind around how I feel uh, because I certainly uh, have dealt with racism in many forms throughout my entire life. And so this is not new to me. This is not a new conversation. Um, but now I have that unique perspective of being married to a good police officer and, and knowing a lot of good police officers. And so uh, just having a lot of conflicting emotions about everything that's happening. And so I would just say to Blake's point, just like not every black person wants to educate and, you know, Blake is fine with it. You know, the next person might not be fine with it. You know, we're all individuals and, and we're all processing this in our own way. And, you know, I haven't posted anything on social media. I haven't shared anything because I haven't been ready to, you know, but I have friends who have posted quite a few things and black friends, white friends, friends of all nationalities who have uh, shared quite a bit. And so I think everybody processes things differently. And I think, um, respect that and honor that and know that just because somebody's not doing what you think they should be doing doesn't mean they're not absorbing the situation. That's good. That's good. I, um, I, I met with my uh, therapist yesterday and, and I was, he, he could just see on my face that I was, you know, I didn't seem my normal depressed self. I, I seemed more depressed or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> He's like, what's going on? And I said, um, I just feel as a pastor, like my role in this is almost one of, of, of a referee, which sounds so strange, but I feel like so many people aren't playing by the rules that they're not extending um, 
charity and grace and, and compassion to other people. Um, in what you're saying, Amber, like they, some friends are saying, well, you should be doing this. You should be saying some things and, and not really giving you a space to, to process this. Um, that bothered me. I, when I left my therapist, I was actually cut off on the road, on the highway. When I got back onto the highway, somebody cut me off. And of course, like everyone else, I was frustrated. And then it, it, I started thinking about it. Why am I frustrated, right? Why am I angered because this person um, cut me off? It wasn't because they're driving on the road with me because I think they have the right to drive on the road with me. There's enough room for them actually on the road with me. I was just frustrated because they didn't follow the rules to get on the road. And that really made me mad. And as a, as a pastor, I feel like a lot of people aren't, aren't operating in um, even the words of Jesus when he says the greatest commandment is to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And then when we look into Corinthians and when Paul's writing about love and, and it's an action, not just an emotion or feeling, that love should be patient and kind and, and um, all of these things. And I'm not seeing many of us, even in the church, friends of mine sending emails and texts on how I should respond. I'm just like, I want to throw up a flag. Um, should we be giving people the time to process on their own when it comes to this? Absolutely. I think we are experiencing and have been experiencing trauma and, and everyone processes trauma differently. And, um, you know, in terms of the black community, we, people of color, have been experiencing trauma over and over and over and over again for a long period of time. And, and now as a country, we're experiencing a different type of trauma, I, I believe. And we're coming off of a trauma in, in the COVID-19 situation, which is still ongoing. Um, there is no correct trauma response. And I think people need to, to have grace in that, that there is no one response to, to a traumatic event. And uh, you have to let people process in the way that is, is appropriate for them. So, I mean, I, I would like, I, I would echo uh, Amber's words here by saying that, you know, I'm, I'm truly scared to take a position one way or the other right now. Um, I'm, I would, I would say that I'm not uh, fully, I don't fully understand because there's, there's so much misinformation out there. There's so much conflicting information out there. Uh, and there's a lot of people saying whom I considered, consider friends uh, from college or uh, even before that high school uh, who are saying that if you don't adhere to my position, you are the problem. And that just, you know, that scares me because that, that is just leading um, instead of explaining why you should uh, think this way, they're just trying to say, if you don't think this way, you are a problem. And for me, if I haven't had that same experience, it's hard for me to take that position. So you know, I truly believe like our uh, experiences, I, I read what Blake wrote on his uh, Facebook post about the first memory of, uh, you know, when he uh, felt 
there was racism. You know, it went back to his elementary school, and that, that was that was a great post. I'm, but you know, I personally did not have that uh, that specific experience or experience like that. It was it was different because I've come from a bit different background. But by my and our experiences shape the way what how what we believe and and actually reassures of how we experience life. Um, so I didn't have some of those experiences. So it was, it's difficult for me to understand um, when some people say, hey, if you don't truly say it, you are a problem. Yeah, the idea, uh, silence is violence or silence is complicity. Um, I, I've struggled with that a little bit too, only because um, just because maybe another person doesn't see me speaking or responding in some way, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm not. Um, I don't want to play the the pastor card or the, the you know, the Christian card or anything, but um, I'm oftentimes moved first to prayer in this. And as you know, um, prayer oftentimes happens in a closet, so to speak, uh, in, a, in a room off by yourself. And so from all outward appearances, you know, I, it, I could be criticized for not doing something. And yet I would say I'm probably doing the most important thing that I know to do right now, which is uh, to pray. Um, Blake, if you could, um, I, I've, I jumped off Facebook a number of years ago. Um, you're one of the people I miss because most of all of your posts make me giggle. Um, but for all those people who, <laughs> I mean, you're just so funny and how, how your relationship with your two boys, I mean, they, yeah. those kids are going to have therapy. I'm just saying, you know, it's hilarious. That's my life, man. <laughs> the boys are my life. But, um, I, I didn't see the post that Hanuk was talking about. And for others that might be tuning in, um, would you, sh that, that aren't following you either. Would you share what that story was? Okay. Well, it's, it's a lot to unpack. And I think. Before I begin, I'll just start with, with a couple things. One is whoever may be viewing this, there may be some things that are said that are uncomfortable for you, that are uneasy for you, that could upset you. Um, what my opinions are is not necessarily a reflection of what Renaissance Church as a whole, what their opinions are. So if something that I say is upsetting to you, don't take it out on Ren. You can take it out on me. It's, it's okay. Um, second. I want to piggyback off what Hanuk said with uh, he's kind of scared to take a position either way just because of how it'll be accepted on, on either end. And then you mentioned that um, there are people saying that, um, you know, if, if you don't think this way, you're part of the problem. If you put it like that as like just a broad statement, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. But if the thing that you're talking about is one person's stance is saying, Hey, I don't think this unarmed black man should be killed by an officer with a knee on his neck. I mean, to me, honestly, if you don't think that that is a valid statement and you don't agree with that, I mean, that, in my opinion, you would be part of the problem. But in general, I, I would agree with you that that's, that's kind of absurd. Um, following up on that, I will just say that I think in general, there's way too much emphasis put on what people choose to post or not post on social media. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people post about it on social media, and, and that's great because it does raise awareness. But, I mean, it's what does it do outside of that? I mean, there there needs to be some sort of action or some sort of follow-up steps after the social media post 
I mean, a lot of them that I'm seeing is like, okay, I, I've supported it. I posted about it. Let me pat myself on the back and let me keep moving business as usual. And that's the kind of thing that I don't really, you know, agree with, or, or I don't really think is that helpful. But um, with all of that out of the way, I will tell the story um, about what I, I went through and, and my first experience with racism. There was a post that I saw on Facebook that simply stated, what was your first experience or your first brush in with, with, with racism? And it's funny because with memories and experiences like this, the bad ones you don't tend to keep at front of mind. And I can honestly say before I saw that post and before I thought about it and started to go in my mind, I kind of forgotten that that had happened just because it's something that I don't want to think about. So it's funny how those things just get kind of pushed out of your mind as you're forced to actually search for them and think about it. But um, what happened with me, it was maybe second or second or third grade. I'm in class and on that particular day, I happened to finish all of my work before everyone else in the class. So naturally, you know, I start to kind of goof off and play class clown and things like that. And instead of my teacher redirecting my focus and giving me something constructive to work on, she kind of lashed out at me. And um, she just was really, really bothered, you know, by whatever I was doing. I don't, I mean, the way she reacted, you would think I was burning the building down, but she was really, really bothered. She lashed out and she told me that, I want to get this right. She told me that behavior like mine was the reason black people aren't successful today. Again, I'm in second or third grade. So in my mind, I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, that was a bit much. But I mean, I still didn't really know how to process it. I didn't know that was a, a racist comment. I didn't know that that experience was a racist experience. I, I didn't know what to think. So the only thing that I knew to do was to go home and tell my mom. So I did tell my mom. I don't really remember that conversation, but I do remember her being very, very angry at it. And she was very close very, very close to coming up to school with me the next day. But I honestly think just where we were in life back then, she probably couldn't even afford to take that day off to come up with me at school the next day. So she ultimately decided to write a letter to that teacher. And um, I can't remember what was on the letter, but I'm sure it wasn't a nice letter. <laughs> but I did take the letter with, to school with me the next day. And I gave that to my teacher. And I'm not sure where she read it or how you know, how soon after I gave it to her that she read it, but I knew once she read it, I could tell because she came to me, she was visibly angry and, uh, you know, she escorted me down to the principal's office. So in this principal's office, it's two older white adults and it's a young second grade black boy, which is me. The thing that kind of added insult to injury is in the office, the teacher she just completely denied that she said anything of that nature. And of course, the principal is going to side with her. So the principal is telling me and lecturing me about how no one on the staff is that way. And that kind of behavior from anyone on the staff isn't tolerated. And from there, I mean, the teacher kind of coaxed me into even agreeing with her, like, wow, maybe I did hear her wrong or maybe I made that up. And I don't know, maybe it was me just being intimidated by two older white people who I at that time thought they had authority over me, which they did, you know, in, in the in the traditional sense of schooling, they did. Or maybe it was just me feeling cornered or just me feeling afraid, like why am I just escalating this to that point? But whatever happened, I ended up saying, okay, maybe that's not what happened. 
And I even got home. I told my mom, like, hey, I'm sorry for starting all this. It was a big misunderstanding. It was a mistake. And the school year just kind of went on. You know, it went on as normal. Nothing else really like that happened. But as I got older, you know, I'm just like, no, that that happened. <laughs> like, uh, For one, the way they kind of cornered me in the office, I, I just think this is me speaking as an adult now. I mean, that was just very that was inappropriate. That was inappropriate, the, the inappropriate response for what happened. And as I got older, I just started to regret more and more that I didn't stand my ground in that office. And I know adult Blake is asking a lot of kid Blake, but I mean, that was something that really honestly happened. And again, I ended it by saying that's part of the reason why I speak greatness into both of my black sons daily on a daily basis. And I let them know that they will do great things because they are black and not necessarily despite them being black. And uh, each night before they go to bed, I end their night with the mantra and they have to repeat that I'm black, I'm smart, and I'll go far in life. Now, the reason that I do that with my boys is because I can only speak from experience. Growing up, it seems like there was every tool and everything in the world designed to tell me how not up the snuff that I was or how mediocre I was or how, you know, I wasn't going to make it. And it seems like it was all because of the color of my skin. So with all these things kind of piling on me on a day-to-day basis, I want to instill in my boy's head so much that they will do great things because of the the color of their skin, that when all these weapons and tools start to come on them, you know, day by day as they're growing up, like nothing will shake their faith in who they are and what they'll do. And they will not allow any of those thoughts to kind of creep in their mind and and affect who they're going to be in this world. So that was pretty much the totality of the story. I mean, that's a harsh thing for a second or third grader to go through. But these are things that I'm not sure if people and white people really understand that people of color have to go through. I mean, that sounds like something like straight out of a movie and it sounds like something that's not, could not really happen and is not really believable, but that really happened here in here in good old Decatur, Illinois. So that was pretty much the story. When I, when I go back and think about, you know, social media posts, you know, I think oftentimes we have to remind ourselves that social media posts aren't real anyways, right? It's typically the, the polished version of whatever we want to present to the world around us. So it's, it's so striking that people would get upset with Amber for not posting something when what most people are posting out there is not even a true representation of what they fully believe. You know, Blake mentions that some people post stuff and they, they feel like they've done their social obligation. <laughs> you know, they've raised their, their fist in the air with, you know, the other people that are being, you know, disenfranchised or being pushed out of society, so to speak, but then they just go back to their normal way of life. It's, it's the social influencer who jumps out of her car to grab the, the cordless drill to act like she's helping someone board up the, the shop, right, in LA, to then jump back in her car and drive away. It's, it's not even real at that point. So um, I just, this is just me and we don't have to talk about this, but I just wonder if social media isn't somehow devaluing all the relationships that we should be having with one another anyways. So, um, yeah, I, I can see that. And I will say that again, I don't put too much stock into what people choose to post or to not post. The only thing that, and I won't really say that I condemn people for, but it's just something I noticed. It's something that I put a mental note in my mind about is when all the injustices happen, 
like the George Floyd situation where he's murdered by the cop. You know, the, the cop literally has his knee on his neck. He's telling him he can't breathe. The man pleaded for his mom. His mother is dead from what, from what I understand. The man pleaded for his mom until his last breath. And this sort of injustice, which fine, you don't have to post about it. But when I see people and the first thing they post about is all, all this rioting is ridiculous. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. I mean, there are so many things for you to speak up about, you know, and you were silent about this. And then you finally decide to speak up once you see people rioting about this, this terrible injustice. I mean, that goes way deeper, but that's just kind of something that I do notice. Not that I condemn people for it, but it's, it's noticeable. I have the I have the same conversation not too long ago that uh, again I don't put a lot of stock in what people post on social media because you know usually it's pictures of my son and that's it <laughs> as deep as I go but uh, I have I have noticed the people who didn't say anything about what started a lot of this or I guess what what the tipping point of a lot of this but have posted multiple times about the, the, the protests and the riots and the looting. And, um, and, and again, I'm not condemning anyone, but I find it interesting that, that you are outraged enough to post about this, but you weren't outraged enough to post about that. And, and maybe it goes back to what you said. Maybe it's fear of saying the wrong thing in those situations. I don't know. Uh, but people that are so vehement about, you know, I can't believe people are looting. I can't believe people are rioting. I can't believe, but can you believe what started it? You know, and, and I noticed that. I mean, it's just one of those things that you kind of go, oh, okay. You know, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not judging anyone. It's just something that you take note of. Yeah, this is a very very deep subject here. I mean, just in regards to what's going on now, typically, you know, and I don't want to quote MLK here, but I will, but I hate to because this, this phrase has been so, you know, overused and overused, but with rioting, you know, he states that a riot is just the voice of the unheard. So whether I agree with rioting, looting, you know, the protesting, it's it's not it's not clean. It's not perfect. It's not you know it's not ideal. It's not something that's you know that's that's just without its flaws. But I can honestly say I believe 100% without all of the noise that people are making out there, I do not believe that the officer charged would be would have been upgraded to second degree murder. I do not agree that or I do not think that the other three officers would have been charged at all. I think that the pressure that's being put on them, in fact, or in part by everyone that's rioting and, and protesting, that pressure, it, it, it applied pressure to them to do that. So that, that goes outside of saying whether I do agree with it or not. But all I'm saying is, you know, when, when people get to that point, like Amber said, it's not really the reason they, they did that. It's just kind of the tipping point. It's like, you know what, this is, that's that boiling point where everything boils over. And then you kind of see what you're seeing out there. Um, I'm only saying without that, I don't think that we'd get the, the justice and the results that, that we, we've seen right here. Not saying that being charged simply is a result, because I think they should be convicted also. We've seen this go the other way many, many times. Um, but again, I mean, it, it, it has its place in society. And, you know, there have been peaceful protests that haven't been 
you know, approved or, or uh, going over well with people. So, I mean, kind of, what do we do? How can we win in this one? Right. Yeah. And um, as those protests sort of swept across the nation, Decatur hosted, uh, I know of one on Monday, I think there was even a smaller one on Sunday. Um, But the one on Monday um, happened downtown here close to the church. And um, as I was leaving home for the day, I'd noticed a lot of of merchants in the downtown area were boarding up their windows. I won't say motivated by fear, maybe just being cautious, I don't know, but just to protect that. Um, But it almost made me feel like the protest already had a sort of a a bad name, so to speak, like like it wasn't gonna be a peaceful protest and they were expecting these things to happen and precautions are good, I get all of that, you know, we do that. But it, it seemed to go off swimmingly. I mean, like it seemed to be great on Monday. Lots of people showed up, it seemed to do exactly um, raise awareness and you know gather people together to talk about this. Um, what other things do you think maybe we should be doing here in Indicator or what, what I don't, maybe you guys don't have, have thought that through, but I'm a person who thinks what, you know, what's next for me? Um, I don't want this, we, we have all seen these things sort of hit news cycles, rise up and to, to, to get supplanted by another thing, um, call it a distraction or something else, another thing comes up um, and then it goes away until the next thing happens. But is there some way to maintain some involvement or understanding or is there an action that we should be taking um, to move forward from this so that we don't slip away again? Any thoughts? I will say first, the first step, and I think that's being done now with everyone trying to raise awareness of just the conditions of people of color and, and what we go through on a daily basis. The first step is just everyone getting some understanding, everyone getting a little bit more empathy, everyone just just realizing and fully seeing what's going on with people of color in this country. I think that's honestly the first step. And from there, you can start to kind of educate yourself about the things that that people of color are going through. But I think more importantly than that, just for added context, I think everyone should do a lot of research and and uh, you know just check the history of how things have been for color people, color people or uh, people of color, excuse me, in, in this country and sticking in NAACP. Um, but you should do as much research as that on po- as possible. You know, just look at the things that happened with the Panthers, with the COINTELPRO, where you know the FBI, you know, our country were the ones that kind of, you know, grouped together and had plans to put them under surveillance. And, you know, their top priority was to shut this group down. You know, this is our government, the country that we live in. Um, so any, any black person of stature that wanted to unite and help people of color, you know, the FBI were, their top priority was to shut those things down. So just knowing that that's kind of the history, how does that make black people feel today? It's like, that's why, you know, I, I don't want to say most black people or I'll just say many black people. That's the reason why you'll notice that not as many black people feel as strongly and patriotic and as passionate about being an American as a lot of white people do, just because there's that ugly history that's behind it. You know, there's many things like the uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma bombing and the firing, you know, of, of Black Wall Street. We had this whole sector of Black businesses that was very successful. 
And, you know, the, the entire, the entire group, that entire area was burned down to the ground by uh, whites in that area. And you would think that would be something that's like a huge history lesson, but that's not even taught in schools. Um, that, that's only two of the things that historically people of color have gone through. But when you keep continue to hear things after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing, you know, you don't really have a very patriotic view of this country. Um, so I, I do think people should do the history, try to read up on as many of those things as possible. But more importantly, and this is what I've told a lot of my white friends, the most you can do, the, I think the biggest thing you can do to help is after gaining that understanding and that empathy and just trying to get yourself informed, it's not enough to just be not racist. No one should get a gold star on their wall or a pat on their back because they're not racist. Congratulations, you're, you're a decent human being. You need to be anti-racist. You need to actively speak up about these things. You need to take a stance against these things. Many people will be mad, yes, but if you really want to enact change, it's not enough to sit quiet and, and pat yourself on the back because you're not personally racist. You have to fight in that fight. That, that's truly, that's really the only solution. And I don't want to say that every white person has friends or family that are racist, but many do. And one of the most powerful things you could do is talk to those people who you believe may be. You know, there, there doesn't need to be a black person present to kind of pressure you into doing that. Take it upon yourself to talk to certain people. If you hear an off-color comment or you, you know, hear someone or see someone doing something, it's like, whoa, you know, that's, that's not cool. And, you know, that's where the integrity comes in. You know, no one's seeing you do that, but I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do is to kind of check those things. You know, if there's a family member saying some racist comments at the, at the dinner table on Thanksgiving, it's a lot easier to just continue eating your turkey but it would go a longer, a longer way for the cause if you would check that person on that, but then educate them on why they shouldn't say things like that, why they shouldn't think like that, um, because black people aren't in the same circles at all times with the racist people who do and say things like that. But sometimes their family members, their white family members and friends are in that circle and they can do a lot of work in that space that we can't really do. So um, that's a lot said, but I mean, that's, that's for the, for the most part, that's the advice that I've given my, my white friends. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard some of them where they've actually done that and they've actually changed people's perspective a little bit. And, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know really what other people's experiences are, but I think that's very, very important in this fight. Um, well, I want to, I want to thank you for that. Um, Cause I have to admit that to me was uh, brand new. I just learned something there because your idea for a person to not just be not racist, but to be anti-racist, that distinction I'd actually never made in my mind. So uh, I appreciate you for for saying that. And it does. um, It is harder to to rebuke that uncle right (laughs) at the at the Thanksgiving dinner table, but um, still, I I believe, worth it. Um, uh, Hanuk, real quick, uh, Blake was talking about. Um, the difficulty sometimes that he has to feel as patriotic um, on some of those holidays because his um, experience and his people's experience with the country um, is maybe not the same experience that maybe white people have. So they just see it differently and experience kind of plays into how you think. But um, as an immigrant, um, 
I'd just like to give you some time to talk about maybe some of the systemic racism that maybe you've encountered or maybe not. I don't know. Um, um, but yeah, your, your view on some of that stuff that Blake just talked about there. Right. So uh, first, Blake, I, I, I want to uh, uh, give, you, give you a pat on the back and, and say um, the, that's the, the, what you do with your sons and you tell them to say that they're, they, they'll do great things. That is so awesome. I, I, I love that. And, and, you know, part of the problem is, is this, um, I think in, in all uh, colored uh, communities is uh, the victimhood that we assume that we're victims and everything is happening bad to us because we're victims. And uh, I think the change will, and the solution to uh, this would come from within the black community, from within people of color. Uh, that's, 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 my, that's my opinion. Because um, uh, you know, awareness is first. Every, every, and this, this is, that's, that's, I think one of the best things that's come out of this is, is everyone is paying attention to this. Everyone is thinking more deeply about it. Everyone is learning from it. And, uh, we see people from all different backgrounds coming and supporting, um, uh, people who are protesting, um, and standing up for, um, you know, standing up for, anti-racism so my my background i i uh, moved uh, with my family from pakistan um 15 17 years ago i was 15 at that time uh so i grew up in pakistan northern pakistan uh it's about 99 percent muslim um and we were we were the one percent non-muslims um, my family was the only one that was non-Muslim in our school. Um, so religion was a compulsory, compulsory uh, subject, uh, but we were excluded from taking that class. Um, so we went to the, a private school and we were the only non-Muslim family there. And everyone... Uh, you could just feel it that once they know your name, they know you're not Muslim. It's a, a you're treated a little differently. So, I I can completely understand this in in the black and white context of how this plays out because it may not be vocal, it may not be um, explicit, but it's there. It's there all the time, and you can't do anything about it. So um, what, what, my family chose to move here to, um, I guess, seek better opportunity uh, for us and uh, escape uh, discrimination. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud to be an American right now. I'm uh, very thankful for uh, all the opportunities I've been given, uh, despite of um, uh, the circumstances, uh, I'm very patriotic and, but I, I've seen what I've fled 
and that's you know that's that's uh you know i i didn't want to say it's way worse but it, it is it is a it is bad in its own way and there's no fixing that there's no voices standing up for that um you know it's it's um so i'm 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 very thankful and grateful to be in america at this point i just want to push back on one thing you said um so in, in the beginning you kind of started it off and you said that there is kind of a i don't, I don't know if you used the word culture i'm pretty sure you didn't but you hinted towards there being okay you hinted towards there being some sense of victimhood in, in the black community and and them uh, you know a large part of black people needing to be the ones to kind of correct the situation sorry if i, if I screwed that up but the reason i wanted to push back on that is, is it's kind of a dangerous thing to, to to say and the reason i say that is there are documented statistics on black people being less likely to qualify for loans more likely to be arrested more likely to get longer sentences unfair sentences um i mean the list goes goes on and on and on so these things are documented in in statistics you know you can look them up so to say so to say that it's it's up to us to kind of improve that situation I wouldn't put it on on us. I mean, if there is a system of oppression in place, it's up to the oppressor to correct that situation. I mean, not saying that this is what you said, but if if someone is, you know, beat up or 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 raped or anything like that, it's it's not up to the victim in that situation to rectify that situation or do her part to improve it. I mean, it's up to the person or or the people that's that's doing the oppression, the, the oppressing in that situation. I mean, um, and, and that may not be what you meant, but I just wanted to clear that up because it's kind of, that'd be a dangerous premise to kind of put out there in my opinion. Sure. Sure. No, I completely understand. So I, I was saying, I'll give you an example. Um, and this is from work. So, uh, when I was supervising, uh, I was also involved of creating a schedule. And one time a vacation was denied and um, the person comes back to me and says, you did this because I'm black. You know, those, those kinds of situations. When, mm -hmm. when, when people uh, ask you to change your decisions because they're saying you're doing this because you're racist. Right. And I, I said, uh, you know, somebody else says, but he, he ain't white. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You, you just don't have the same experience I do. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so I, I, I'm saying that type of mentality. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm talking against that. So um, I don't, I don't think anyone uh, black, white, whatever um anyone can improve if the first thing is they it, it is they think is that i won't ever succeed they won't ever be successful right so that's that's what i was I pointing agree. towards yeah i agree with that and especially in, in that situation 
Yeah, that's 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 kind of ridiculous. But I mean, as far as what's going on now, you know, the over policing and the police brutality, that is a, a very real thing. You know, when when someone's a, an actual victim in these situations, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, they are they, we are the victims in this situation. We historically have been time and time and time again. So I just want to make that distinction. I, I know you may not have meant that, but I think it's important to, to put on the record just to give people added perspective on that. I mean, that's, it's not pretty, it's not pretty. I, um, I, I also would probably be remiss if I don't at some point try to bring this back to um, uh, another component of all of this, which is our Christian faith. And, um, you know, when Jesus has come uh, to set the captives free, truly, um, he's doing so by establishing a new kingdom. Um, he's not even necessarily coming to fix what's broken. I mean, I think that's the outflow of who we are as people. When we surrender our lives to Jesus and begin to live by Christian ethics and begin to see other people made in the image of God with value and worth and how we treat others, it begins to leak into culture. But it's not actually fixing that culture. It's establishing a new culture, a new kingdom. And in that kingdom, um, Paul writes uh, that in Jesus Christ, that there is no longer a Jew nor a Gentile, a slave nor a free. It's as if God is in fact creating uh, a new race of people. And maybe that's the wrong way to say that, but there's a new people. Um, and it doesn't mean we lose our identity of who we were, but it's that's that identity supersedes everything. And, and um, I think the help for our world is uh, the gospel of Jesus. I think it is Jesus coming in and transforming the lives of men and women um, so that others, so that we can live the way God intended us uh, to live. Um, and in, until that comes, um, we have to do as Blake was saying, um, you know, not just be racist, be anti-racist. We have to, you know, push back like Hanuk was saying, when someone is calling you, uh, your actions to be racially motivated, you have to, you know, rebuke that and say that's not what it is. And, and then maybe even privately go and ask the Lord, Lord, was I doing that because of that? You know, there, sometimes we're responding in ways just because we're acting certain ways, not implying that's what you did, Hanuk, but, but we have to at least be honest with ourselves. Um, and then we just also have to, to remind ourselves that as Christians, um, James, the brother of Jesus says that if we would be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, we can, we can really, I think, move forward um, in having uh, the kingdom of God truly come to earth here. So uh, I think we could go on for uh, another two hours. I won't take that time from all of you. Uh, I appreciate you guys so much for taking time to be with us. I, I can't wait to put this together to let our church see it. And um, I'll just reiterate Blake's point. Um, don't be mad at the church. <laughs> right? be, mad at the church. <laughs> be mad at us. We're the ones with the opinions. And yet, and yet we also, we make up the church. So come on, we're all brothers and sisters here. So um, mm -hmm. I thank you guys for coming in. I release you back to the rest of your day. Um, feel free to call me, text me if there's anything you felt like you wanted to say but didn't get a chance to, and I'll try to include it in some way. Um, but I, I think we did a great thing today, and I want to thank God for you guys. Thank God for um, your lives, for your families. I pray for you um, often, and um, 
I just, I pray Jesus show up in the midst of all this. We need him uh, more than anything. So uh, I love you guys. Thank you all. God bless you. Uh, have, have a great rest of the day. Love you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.